0: Hello everyone, Dr Julie here, and you are listening to my Coffee Chats podcast. I am a health researcher, PhD trained, and chef, self-trained, on a mission to leave the next generation and our planet a lot more of a healthier place. This is your space to ask questions on topics that no one seems to want to discuss, with information that is backed by research, along with a good dose of practical advice. Real talk, real people, real answers let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back everyone. In today's episode, we have three great caller questions. The first is on coffee. The second on insulin sensitivity and our diets, which is going to be a lead in to next week's sleep special. And can kids eat dirt? So let's get into it. Coffee. Good morning, enjoying the podcast and was wondering about the coffee, good versus bad. I love coffee, but every time I follow a detox or something, they ask you to stop drinking coffee. Would love to hear your opinion as I know you enjoy your coffee. Thank you. Oh, and I do. And of course... Our podcast is sponsored by Zero Six Coffee. So if that doesn't say everything, I don't know what does. But this is a very valid question. And look, what I will say is that too much of anything, especially if it displaces other nutrient-dense foods, is never going to be advantageous. But it's always a balance. No one is perfect. I certainly am not perfect. And there's always a how bad is your vice type question as well. Because we all have our vices. We all have our little things that we enjoy that we get through the day. And part of sustainable nutrition is learning to acknowledge those, hold on to those and manage those within your overall dietary intake. But just to explain some of the science behind why coffee is often recommended to be decreased, I will explain that, particularly in relation to cortisol, which I think you'll find interesting anyway in how cortisol relates to our circadian rhythm. So just to be clear as well, with coffee, it's not just coffee, the consideration with coffee is the caffeine, which also comes from tea, soft drinks, and we find that in chocolate as well. So depending on the levels of what you are consuming with that, coffee is not the only source of caffeine in our diets, but it's obviously a significant one. So the reasons behind why coffee is often recommended to be something that we look at is particularly the impact on our sleep, which we know then sets off a whole raft of hormonal changes. And I am going to talk a little bit more about sleep deprivation, insulin resistance, and our hunger hormones next week, but just so that you understand where that fits in. Plus, as I said, it can displace other nutrients as well and stimulates a fight or flight response, which for some people can significantly increase their anxiety. And in addition, it can also have an impact on body composition and our ability to burn fat as a fuel, again, in relation to cortisol as well as that fight or flight response. So in terms of cortisol I actually want to read this to you directly from a research article which is a cross-sectional study looking at the impact of caffeine and exactly how much it raises cortisol levels which the conclusion to this by the way is it does in some and doesn't in in others and that's sort of the overall response but I just want to actually read to you the part about cortisol So cortisol is secreted in a diurnal pattern with a peak around the time of wakening, declining course across the waking hours, and nada seen during the early phases of sleep. So this diurnal cycle, it's really important in maintaining optimal bodily function. The contributes to memory consolidation during sleep. Cortisol actually helps to regulate energy balance and it maintains normal autonomic function by regulating adrenoreceptor synthesis and maintains receptor sensitivity. Perpetations in cortisol's diurnal secretion pattern therefore do have some potentially negative consequences if sustained for prolonged periods of time. So caffeine in dietary doses increases our adrenaline cortisol triporphine and our cortisol secretion. The effect of caffeine on our overall hormonal regulation, therefore, does have the potential to actually alter these circadian rhythms and to interact with our stress reactions. So, you know, kind of by extension, cortisol alterations, they may have implications long term for health, depending on the the volume and the overall conclusion. this is just one cross-sectional study which actually looked at to the development of overall tolerance with the intake of caffeine is what we would say inconclusive and as I said it may have an impact on some and not on others. And I wanted to kind of lead with that science because that's my overall view on coffee is that if you know in line with mindful eating practices that it's may be contributing to some of these negative impacts, particularly around sleep, around anxiety, increasing your stress as opposed to decreasing it. And I'm going to chat about that in terms of a a habit and and a breather soon. You know, then that's something potentially that you want to watch. If it doesn't, however, then it's not necessarily something that you have to change. You know, we've got to take out the shoulds. And as I said, look at it in terms of overall dietary intake. Now I mentioned sort of habit and a breather and I know for me having a cup of coffee is one of those I guess tools that I will pull on when I am needing a breather. So it's not just about the caffeine, it's not just about enjoying the taste of which I both do thoroughly. It's also about a Tool for me to go, okay. I'm just going to stop, make myself a cup of coffee. I enjoy the process of it, I enjoy making it. I have a proper coffee machine for this reason, and I'll often stop, sit outside if I can, if it's not raining, actually have a cup of coffee, breathe, reset. So, for me, if anything, it actually reduces my stress. It's something that I do, as I said, to reset myself. I also mentioned. Having it in relation to your overall diet, you know, and I know for me, my sugar intake is incredibly low. I also don't drink. The volume of ultra-processed foods that I would have is almost next to nothing. So when I'm looking at my overall diet and intake, you know, is this really the worst vice for me to have? I mean, as I said, look, in a perfect world you know, maybe I wouldn't have quite the volume of coffee that I do. And I know when I was pregnant, I did reduce that down. And I've got some caffeine guidelines in my book, The Nourished Bump on this. But, you know, having a look at those big stones in my overall volume of nutrients and nutrient density and am I eating in line with mindful eating practices? Yes, I am. So for me at this stage, it is it is not something that I am necessarily wanting to change or alter in line with that, it also doesn't affect my sleep at all. So there's that. Do I watch how late in the day that I would have coffee? Yes, very much so. Uh, I sort of have a my own personal cutoff of around like three o'clock, definitely no later than four o'clock. If I have an afternoon training session, I know I can get away with a coffee at, at that time before training session. So that's also one of the exceptions to that. So I hope that's kind of given you some things to think about, a little bit of the science behind it, why it's often suggested. And like all things, know your body. Make the choice based on how caffeine responds. Have a look at your overall caffeine intake. Potentially there are other sources of caffeine in your diets that you want to take into account. And know No one's perfect. We still want to be able to enjoy the things that we really thoroughly love and ultimately make informed choices for ourselves. Great question. Second question was an overall topic, and I wanted to use this time to introduce this because, as I said, it's going to lead really nicely into next week's sleep special. So the topic was around insulin sensitivity and the role our diets. Play. So, I actually want to break down what is insulin, what is insulin resistance, how carbohydrate and fat relate to this significant hormone and hormonal challenge. I'm just going to give you some key definitions first and foremost. Blood glucose is the volume of sugar in your blood, all carbohydrate is broken down into blood glucose. Insulin is is our blood sugar hormone, also called our fat storage hormone. Insulin resistance is when our cells are not responding well to insulin and cannot easily take up glucose from your blood. Insulin sensitivity is when your cells are highly sensitive to insulin and need a lower amount of insulin to move blood glucose into them. I also talk about something called your insulin resistance puzzle, which is a huge number of factors which contribute to insulin resistance. Now, understanding insulin, insulin resistance, and managing your own insulin resistance puzzle is really key to our overall health and well-being. I believe it ultimately answers the question around how much carbohydrate we can tolerate. This is also crucial in pregnancy because pregnancy increases our insulin resistance period. And then for those that do have a risk of gestational diabetes or have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which is not necessarily due to any of your particular individual fault at all, because as I said, pregnancy is a risk factor on its own for gestational diabetes. Understanding all of this is really, really key. So, Insulin is the hormone that's released from your pancreas and it helps to remove blood glucose, remembering that's blood sugar, from your bloodstream and deliver it to your cells to be used as energy. It's the cells in your muscles, fat and liver that use your blood sugar. So insulin is doing the role of allowing this glucose into your cells. But while it's doing so, it's inhibiting your cells from breaking down and using fat as an energy source. So, simplify all of that down. While your body is metabolizing sugar, which comes from all carbohydrate, the more refined carbohydrate that you have, the more insulin is required. It means that your body's mechanisms for metabolizing and burning fat. Are effectively stopped, and this is why insulin is also called our fat storage hormone. Now, where this relates to our dietary intake in particular is that carbohydrate requires insulin in order to break it down, but we want to be burning fat. Not this is this has got nothing to do with body composition, this has got everything to do with energy that comes first, body composition comes second. So To repeat, while our bodies are breaking down carbohydrate, insulin is being released and used in order to do so, and we are not metabolizing fat. And so this is at the core of understanding the relationship between carbohydrate and fat. This is where the rise of higher fat, lower carbohydrate dietary intakes have come from. Now, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. This means that I have a higher level of insulin resistance just simply by walking around. So that means, just like I explained, that my body is not able to tolerate as much carbohydrate to begin with because there are other factors that are involved with insulin resistance as well. And I definitely fit into this being postpartum, having gone through multiple pregnancies, experiencing long-term sleep deprivation that comes with this. This is added on top. It's not as simple as, you know, we'll just cut out all carbohydrates because carbohydrate is a macronutrient. It provides an essential source of many nutrients that we need and we do need carbohydrate. But understanding that relationship is important, knowing that every single person on this planet has a different level of carbohydrate tolerance, and it's going to keep changing. Overall, because of this, and because of the impact of our food supply, which is very heavy in carbohydrate and very heavy in refined carbohydrate, generally I find that we will benefit from a slightly higher fat intake and a slightly lower carbohydrate intake than what most of us were brought up on. I feel like, and I'm going to repeat this yet again, I've only just scratched at the surface here, but this is just to show the overall picture and that relationship between carbohydrate and insulin and where it comes from. I'm not going to be able to, well, I guess, unpack every single part of this, but I wanted to explain this in its simplicity because you brought up the topic, and I think it's a great topic. The more that you can tune into your mindful eating practices, and you may want to go back and listen to my very first intro podcast, the more that you will naturally become in tune with how your body responds to different levels of carbohydrate. I always recommend using your energy as your best gauge and also noticing how hungry you get after a particular meal. Our main meals, ideally, as a rough guide, should be able to sustain us a good three to four hours. If they are not, it means that they are not serving us or not providing us with that fuel. And generally what I find is it will mean that it's very easy heavy in carbohydrate which is a much shorter period of time so having a play around with that is is a good place to start as well if you've got any follow-on questions on this please fire them through and as I said next week I'm going to be talking about the relationship between insulin resistance and sleep deprivation which is a major puzzle piece and for those of you that are experiencing severe levels of sleep deprivation, Just know that your insulin resistance is increased and that you will have a decreased tolerance for carbohydrate in just what I've explained. And our third caller question, I found this really fascinating. Can my child eat dirt? I've seen conflicting things online and on social media about this. My simple answer is yes, 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 and ideally they should. And we have significant peer-reviewed academic research to show the benefits of small children in particular eating dirt and it contributing to the development of their immune system. Now, I'm not saying that you want to intentionally serve your children dirt, but toddlers have a natural curiosity of putting everything into their mouths. I've got so many photos of the boys just putting handfuls of sand, dirt, all sorts of things in. And what we do know is that they will eventually stop for the most part. They will. And that's in part of them realizing that it actually doesn't taste very nice, that the texture is not very nice. And the best way for them to learn to do that is by experiencing it. And of course, then there's just a natural social connotation that they will pick up on, which is that we we just don't do this. But if your toddlers are doing this, because this is where we see it most frequently, it's not something that we need to panic about or rush in and stop. They're not going to overconsume consume or dirt or sand because the texture is, is going to put them off. And just know that when we're looking at the development of an immune system, we do actually want some bad guys. I always encourage you to think of the gut as like a garden. And even in a garden setting, there's that mixture of good guys versus bad guys, which is contributing to that overall beautiful, living, breathing, thriving little ecosystem. And that's the same as your own gut health and particularly your younger children, because it takes your baby's gut two years to fully mature. So anything in that period of time is going to be advantageous. But the way that an immune system works and builds Is with a little bit of exposure to the bad guys And then effectively building antibodies against it And as I said we've got a lot of peer-reviewed academic research To show that it's positive Now for This particular generation, we're in a a post COVID era. We don't have the research to show some of the long term implications of our younger children that have experienced this, who have been in extended periods of isolation and extended periods of extreme cleanliness that no other generation has experienced. Now, that's not to say that you've done anything wrong. We were doing and following guidelines that. We needed to, but what I am saying is that we don't have the peer reviewed academic research yet to show some of those long term implications. And on children getting sick, I'm not going to delve into this just today, but I see a lot of parents get really afraid of that. And we don't want to be afraid of our kids experiencing common childhood illnesses, you know, coughs, colds, etc. Because it is actually building their immune system. What we want to focus on is the recovery from that. And, you know, there's a reason in both of my big cookbooks, I've got tons of recipes on repair and recovery, because the more that you can put in to a body, the more that it's going to help with that. And that's even in kids that are really sick. You know, food is medicine here. And Having experienced, you know, two major neurosurgeries in the last three years, I have definitely pulled on food uh, as one of my primary tools to do so. And yes, I've got a future podcast coming out on that too. So hopefully that helps to answer your questions. Just to recap. Coffee, good v bad. I'm like, take into account the big picture. Look at sleep, look at your anxiety or your stress response. Understand the implications with cortisol. And like all things, if it is working for you, you don't necessarily have to change it. Just take into account that whole big picture. And we've all got vices and we're all not perfect. Insulin sensitivity and dietary intake, huge topic, but hopefully I've given you some little takeaways and tune in next week with us. Have a look this week over your own bodily responses around carbohydrate and fat. And should kids eat dirt? Yes, yes, and yes, just let them be kids. Great questions, and I'm gonna see you same time, same place next week for a sleep special. Lots and lots of love. I just want to do a shout out to our incredible sponsor 06 coffee as you all know I am coffee obsessed and 06 is a local New Zealand company also very waste conscious coffee does not ask questions coffee understands and coffee gives you five minutes peace in the chaos which I really hope you get today please use the code 1506 for 15% off That's it for this week's episode. If you do have a question, please drop it into the contact page of my website or a DM on Instagram. Everything from food, well-being, business, motherhood and life questions are answered here. I do really hope you get in a peaceful cup of coffee or at least take some time to yourself today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast to keep up to date and make sure you don't miss an episode. Until next week, with love, Dr Julie.